Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Flemmer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Welcome to Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, the daily podcast in which it is important that we learn a bit about the history of this famous film, Being John Malkovich, one minute at a time. I'm your host, Austin Pryor. Returning today are my guests from the Love Rosie podcast, Ellen and Luke. We're back. We're back. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Yeah, good. It's coming force of habit now, really. Yeah, it's not it's not so bad once you kind of push the yeah. goo around and get, get comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I'm still worried about the Coraline situation, though. Well, well it, it looms. It hasn't right? happened yet. We'll, we'll wait. So... Our minute today is minute 14. Minute 14 starts with the rest of the introduction to my most watched DVD bonus feature of all time and ends one minute later with an adult lady of miniature proportion looking for the ear of a kind man with a no... She gets cut (laughs) off. We don't know what she was looking for. Until you Uh, said that, I did not realise it was a DVD bonus feature either. I've just checked mine next to me and I'm like, oh, I really should watch that for research. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, the seven and a half floor introduction video is, it's basically all in the movie. There's very little that you're getting, but because it just works so beautifully as a comedy sketch itself. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, myself and my housemates used used to just put it on and we would quote the hell out of it. Uh, It is just like a Python sketch, really. It is. It's it's amazing. And you've got the different elements. You know, you've got that. The bit of voiceover and stock footage at the start is is fine. It sets the tone. But you've got... Hello, Don. Hello, Wendy. Don, I was wondering... Do you know why our workplace has such low ceilings? It's an interesting story, Wendy. Many years ago, in the late 1800s, James Merton, an Irish ship captain, came to this town and decided to erect an office building. He called this building the Merton Flimmer Building, after himself and someone else who local legend has it was named Flimmer. One of my favourite gags in the film is the Merton Flemmer joke at the start. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's just, it's, I mean, that's very, very Python. And I and think it it's, it's so funny. Beautifully it's... delivered as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Don and Wendy here, the presenters, are the, the supposedly just plucked out of the office at random representatives of the seven and a half floor here are played by, um, uh, Wendy is played by K.K. Dodds and reginald c hayes plays don and um i'm just doing a little a little diversity tick here because he's one of as far as i know only three black actors in the film it's not the most diverse cast and wouldn't score very well for representation did you see this video as a way of mocking businesses like forced aim in advertising for representation because that was one I, way I'd kind of saw it. it. It could be there. It could be there. Or I, but I, I think do... the film would have needed more non-white representation in itself in order to make that comment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think it fit the bill. I think if you're making a corporate video, you're going to have one eye on diversity because corporate videos were in a way ahead of the curve but it was not for very positive social reasons it was for quite cynical tokenistic reasons yeah. but i don't know how intentional it was but i know that I, I i know i don't know but i imagine that in the casting stage when they're looking for actors for don and wendy they probably have an eye on oh wait a second there should be representation here because that's how corporate videos work 
this is one of my favorite minutes of the film because you're into the main body of the seven and a half floor orientation film i think this this scene is like is a lot of people's touchstone for uh the movie and a lot of people will bring up the seven and a half floor in general and this Mm. specific it's um, weird though because that I wouldn't say the seven and a half floor is a huge part of the film, really. I, I think mean, that's it is. what I love about it even more yeah. is the fact that it's just you forget there. About <laughs> it doesn't it. matter. Yeah, you you expect there to be it. some payoff, and there isn't. It it yeah, it doesn't tie into the plot in any great way. You have to kind of connect it to the plot yourself with with mm-hmm. whatever headcanon you want about building the Merton Flemmer building to match up with an existing portal or whatever. But uh, but yeah, it's just because. When you get to that scene, you're just like, okay, this movie is just off the rails. Like, this is not... You you, you wouldn't be allowed to have a workplace with... <laughs> with That's what I mean, exactly. It wouldn't be legal. And it's completely unrealistic that anyone would go to work there. Yeah. But it just works. And they believe it. And we're in the world of it. Also, the seven and a half floor was quite prominent in the trailer. Seven and a half, right? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Plummer building. My name is Craig Schwartz and I have an interview with Dr. Lester. Please have a seat, Mr. Juarez. My name is Schwartz. My name is Schwartz. Which of these two letters comes first, this one or this one? The symbol on the left is not a letter, sir. Damn, you're good. Do you know that I don't even know your name or where you work? And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. Which I think was a smart move because it just shows the weirdness of the world of the movie without giving anything much Too away. Much like, yeah. And you know the movie's called being John Malkovich, so you know it's going to involve him somehow. So the weirdness of Seven and a Half is, like, is a big part of what people remember. And as I've been talking to people about the movie and about the podcast, it has been coming up a lot, you know? So we start with this like New York stock footage on grainy film and straight into interior shots clearly shot on video. And this is kind of what I was alluding yeah. to earlier that like this is again Spike Jones attention to detail familiarity with low budget filmmaking techniques means that he's going to you know a lot of directors just wouldn't know what to do shooting on video, mm-hmm. you know, whereas he's shooting this on video cuz it's meant to look like a video and the stock footage bits are meant to look like film transferred to video and that's what they look like yeah. you know? well one day old captain merton received an unexpected visitor captain merton i would want you girl child i'm not a child but rather an adult lady of miniature proportions well see well if it's charity you're after be gone with you you foul demon I'm not asking for alms, Captain, but rather the year of a kind... And I just I just have this thing as well about, like, uh, we get to Captain Merton, okay? So the Irish ship captain. Irish people, and you ask anyone, we love when movies and TV take the piss out of Irish things. And it's just like, it's anytime Irish things come up in, in The Simpsons. Who chased the Irish out of Springfield Village in Art 4? Me! That's who! And a fine job you did too. And, you know Irish references and that we just lap it up especially if it's like like this like a knowing piss take of bad Irish accents or bad you know what I mean which just is fantastic because I feel like I feel like the British is the literal opposite I get so annoyed when yeah. things are kind of mimicking British culture and it, it it winds me up more than it should 
Well, so I, I think yeah. I think a lot of people, I don't know, a lot of things kind of get get British culture and British cultural references wrong. And a lot of takes I see about England and the English or Britain as a whole from American perspectives, a lot of them are just kind of, eh, that's a bit off. I, I don't know, Family Guy never got the British references right or any time they're taking the piss. Um, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't land. Uh, so I think it's, the Irish thing is like, it has to be done right. You're lampooning the awful, like, irishy irish cliches and stereotypes about irish people you know and this is like the grizzled old irish sea captain speak then if you must <laughs> and yeah. and the accent is bad in the sense that nobody in ireland talks like this but he is perfectly doing a a, a kind of fake irish accent like that was done for a certain period and it's yeah. just like this guy um playing this part captain merton is um he's called burn piven and uh looking him up he's quite you know quite unextraordinary and again uh he's so amazing in this bit part his voice his mannerisms and he nails this the comedy of this scene so perfectly and the comedy of course is a difficult balance to reach because he's playing an actor who's been brought in to do cheesy rubbish work but he has to play a bad actor. You know what I mean? Mm. He, and he, you have to get those layers right. And you yeah. he, Burn Piven is not playing Captain Merton. He's playing an actor hired to play Captain Merton in a rubbish video, you know. And, yes. they, and they both nail that so well. And that's why this, this like, is the most rewatchable DVD extra. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it feels exactly right. I like it. It, it yeah. feels like the perfect lampooning that also isn't too over the top. Like yeah. it, ju it just feels convincingly like the sort of video you'd get. Yeah. So I just wanted to also draw attention here to the woman credited as Tiny Woman. Yeah. Uh, oh, I am an adult lady, lady of miniature, miniature proportions. proportions who is incredible in this i have no idea what her level of acting ability really is because she is just she's just perfect mm -hmm. for this i feel like her role though her role seems too small to kind of judge that it I, it I, is it's it's very small and it's walk on yeah. and it's shot on video in this cheap way where where we're going for bad acting yeah and we can't find anything else uh that she's done because uh, if she has done anything else, it's not on IMDb. She has, her, her name is Judith Wetzel, and sadly she died in um, 2009. She is credited for literally nothing else on uh, IMDb, which is a very unusual thing to see. Mm. I think like yeah. the only other people I've, I've seen on IMDb with literally only one entry are like people I know personally who worked on some, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. happened to do some kind of... Um, or I have one entry on, on IMDb. Side uh, Marlin from Love Rosie, who plays Alex's sister, she's only got one credit, but... Really? We've been chatting with her on Instagram, and she's done other stuff, but... Okay. There, I don't know quite why. But, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I, I, um, I, I put so much focus on my IMDb that if I'm not credited, I, credit, I add myself. Of course. <laughs> I'm building it up. Um, you gotta hustle, baby. By the way, did you know that you can add podcasts to IMDb if you if you want? Yeah, you were saying that yeah. it's quite a I new did say thing. That. Yeah, it was like mm. February, I think they set that up. Okay, so there you go, podcasters, get yourself up there. Yeah, so the woman Judith Wetzel who played uh, who played this really is 
an adult lady of miniature proportion and i i could never kind of decide over the years because mm. i i actually at sometimes when i would watch this i would think that they you know dressed a girl up as a woman uh, uh you know put her in more mature old-timey clothes do you know her height I don't know her height, but I know she was um, 35 or 36 at time of shooting this and sadly died of cardiac arrest at the age of 47. So it would seem that she had some kind of congenital condition that led to short life. So, I mean, really tragic, but she has has left her mark in that way. 100%. I would have loved to see more from her because her, her comic timing is excellent, you know. Um, one thing it did remind me of, actually, which I didn't bring up, was um, there's an episode of The Office, the original um, version. I haven't seen enough of the American one to know. But where, where they are watching a video about customer service. Yes. And it's, yeah. it's, it's very similar tonally. And obviously that's only Peter a couple Peter Purvis, of years. yeah. Yeah, it's only a couple of years after that. And I, yeah, like their incorporation of Peter Purvis. I think, I think The Office got it right as well, that balance of... Cause Definitely. The Office, the Office did quite similarly to i guess is kind of similarly tonally to malkovich in terms of that very kind of we're playing it straight we're playing it raw yes there, it, it, there are elements which push it a bit too far obviously but i think um overall being john malkovich is a very british comedy really it's very oh them's fighting words the yeah. angst will come after you well they i think will. there is a certain being john malkovich is in a New York Jewish intellectual mm-hmm. tradition. Yes. So it's it's in. But they're like, also the type of people who would be watching reruns of Faulty Towers and. Yes, absolutely. It's it's that kind of circle. It does. It has like a PBS kind of uh, <laughs> you know uh, vibe to it. There is definitely a crossover, and I I really think that there would be an influence from Python here, but it it also draws from. There's just a certain humor from the specifically new york jewish community that just it it's just got a spark to it that really um resonates with me i was gonna say i wouldn't link it to british comedy at all to be honest. it's only really monty python that it, it I, is for me and i think i, I can see the link i i hadn't considered it but i can see the link now that you're saying it because it, yeah. it has a surrealist feeling to it and it has a like commitment to absurdity you know what i mean to yes. like to like d- say something absurd and preposterous and really lean so. in and commit so. to it like it's 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 seriously. it's not like it's not like one of the python films but it's like if a python sketch were feature length yeah mm. it would be like this and i think that's it and python are so influential that uh, python-esque is an official word in the english dictionary it is indeed and and, and because python they're so, so influential <laughs> Because they're so influential, the influ- the influence is is kind of inescapable. It's like saying, you know, there's a new band and their album is like, oh, I can really see the influence of the Beatles. Well, of course you do. It's a band. Yes, <laughs> yeah. How, how could they not be influenced by it's the like Beatles? Even <laughs> if they weren't directly influenced yeah. by Monty Python, their influences were exactly. influenced by Python. And it's just, it's yeah. just, Monty Python is just is so pervasive through this the whole comedy world and especially like python is a writer's it's a team of five writers and Mm. it's writer's comedy and this is absolutely comedy that puts the writer at the center and a very strange anomaly with this movie is that even before it came out and certainly when the buzz started building around it when it came out everyone was talking about this writer charlie kaufman 
even though it was just as much Spike Jones's debut as it was Charlie Kaufman's debut. Yeah, I keep forgetting about Spike Jones. He became the star writer, and there's there's kind of no such thing as a star writer usually, and and Kaufman became this this phenomenon on the back mm-hmm. of this movie, and it was just like. Who is this guy? You know. Yeah, you don't get that anymore no. at all. I think. Well, uh, you didn't get it then. Has, no. You don't get star writers. It's not a thing. He's a real outlier, I guess. Yeah. To 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 kind of circuit back up, one of the only writer names that's kind of absorbed in general culture is probably Richard Curtis. <laughs> to be fair, I think. Uh, you yeah. I mean, you've got a point. He he Maybe. definitely um, but he and and Ben Elton together, yeah. and they both they both went on to do other. Do other yeah. things. But I feel like Ben Elton's probably known more now for his novels than he is as a screenwriter. I think. Mm, I don't know. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I certainly don't know him for his novels, but I, I stopped paying attention to Ben Elton a long time ago. So, but yeah. <laughs> and Richard I've, Curtis. I've, I've but... <laughs> read one of Ben Elton's novels, but Richard Curtis. I don't know. His influence has stuck through. The warm hug feeling of Richard Curtis movies have stuck through. And I can confirm Richard is just a nicer guy as his movies would suggest. Yeah, well, I mean, I am, I am, you know, not a Richard Curtis fan, but I, I also have to agree with you. Like, it, it, Four Weddings and a Funeral created a genre and, and uh, yeah. it was a romantic comedy that men didn't have to be ashamed of liking. Yeah, he didn't even plan it as a romantic comedy. At no. First. Like, it was, it's, yeah. I think it's a friend's it's, comedy. It's a ensemble slice of life yeah. kind of Obviously, comedy that we were talking then, about earlier. He then became the rom-com guy. But actually, there's a lot of other stuff he did that no one talks about. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think, I don't know if I'd be as big a Richard Curtis fan if it wasn't for lockdown. I've always liked his stuff. But I think the fact of doing the About Time show and going into all of his stuff over lockdown, that was when warm hug cinema was needed. And that's <laughs> when... That's when binging through everything was like the best thing I could do. I find but it so strange, like with lockdown now, though. Like we've been in lockdown for so long from when we started now, but it's felt like yeah. absolutely nothing at this time. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's so strange. Yeah, I mean, especially, and again, this is kind of old man talking here, especially for for you young whippersnappers. It's like uh, this is. Uh, you know, this seems interminable to me, but it's a much smaller, as a proportion of the length of time I've been on this earth, it's much smaller than it is yeah. for mm. for yeah. you two. And, uh, and I'm at a stage where, like, you know, my social life is important to me, but way less important to me than it was when I was your age. And yeah. uh, I kind of, like, when I hear people giving out about, you know, young people breaking quarantine and stuff and it's like all the rest of us are all doing it's like young people are being asked to do a much bigger thing young people are being asked to disrupt their lives to a much greater degree than than older people are because meeting up with your mates is your fucking life's blood at your age and like yeah yeah, it's it's and it's the fact that like we're not even allowed the vaccines yet yeah it's older people yet we're the ones meeting up probably the most out of yeah with the whole well with, because they're sending group. us to schools and colleges that's the that's the thing that is yeah yeah, a, yeah. sending people somewhere and not uh not vaccinating them is, is uh, yeah yeah crazy. and obviously there are like i feel like the monumental moments in your life are closer together when you're young definitely so like yeah. sitting on gcse exams didn't happen prom didn't happen 
you know, having a first day uh, of college when you're not having to keep your Wait distance. a second, rewind there. Yes, I prom? I realize, yeah, I know it's very Americanized. But it was but a, what, a month What do you mean? What? Well, I mean that we did. We had like a, a leavers ball thing that we'd normally do. Like okay. An evening and uh, everyone just called it prom. So that wraps up our discussion of uh, minute 14 of being John Malkovich. Uh, what about it, guys? Do you think you'll make it back tomorrow? If I, if I don't fall asleep. I might fall asleep halfway in the tunnel. <laughs> okay. Well, sweet dreams. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Well, folks, there'll be plenty more from Luke and Ellen tomorrow. But in the meantime, in case you haven't had enough seven and a half floor orientation film goodness, some more seven and a half floor orientation film goodness. I recently interviewed actor Reggie Hayes, who played Don in this seven and a half floor orientation film. And here is that interview. You're welcome. And hello. Hello, sir. <laughs> First of all, I just wanted to ask, how's your health? I know you've had health problems. Oh, man, I'm doing OK. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's controlled. I have this uh, I'm on medication. I see the doctor. Uh, seems like every other day, but it's maybe like three times a or four times a year, every three months. But I'm doing fine, you yeah. know. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Got my COVID shot yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. The first one was all right. The second one was kind of scary. <laughs> what, how's that? Uh, I think the, the second dose is much, much higher. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it kind of knocked me out a little bit there. But it just lasted for right. a day. So I still suggest everybody go get it. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you can cast your mind back to, uh, I guess, you know, 1998 when you were shooting this. Uh, so how did you get the part or how did you hear about the movie in the first place? And what was your first contact with being John Malkovich? Uh, my agent called and they were like, we got an audition for you for this uh, movie that's coming up. Uh, I guess I'd done, uh, I, I uh, got 98. Yeah, and so I uh, I remember rehearsing it in the shower a lot, like uh, just going through that. Right. Yeah, over over and over again while I was in the bathtub, and uh, I did good. I, I guess I got the the part, but uh, a lot of people didn't think it was gonna happen. Like there's a one audition I went on, and I told them that I'd done that movie, and she was all like, "Oh, that's never gonna come out," or whatever. There's a lot of nasty. Really. Yeah, a lot of nasty people in town. <laughs> In Hollywood, never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of player hating. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you get to read the whole script, or were you just given your sights? I was just given my part. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know about. Cool. It. I still have it, though. I still have it. I finally did get the whole script, and I kept it. Oh, great! It's in my <laughs> my archives. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you? have a sense then that this was a film within a film and this was meant to be a crappy little production <laughs> uh, i kind of had a feeling that it was i was i i started out in acting in chicago and we did a lot of yeah. these uh industrial films where we did yes. a lot of those uh <laughs> we did a lot of those uh workplace films about sexual harassment or you know or of course, uh, yeah. Or just like, you know, hey, it's your first day at work. Welcome. You know, it's kind of stuff. So I knew exactly what to do. And I 
I put on that cheesy voice. Yeah, I <laughs> wanted to ask you about the voice, actually, because it's kind of got... Um, have you seen the film Sorry to Bother You? No, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, there's a um, black guy's getting a job in a call center and he gets advised to put on a white guy voice, you know? <laughs> um, and I know just the tradition of like doing very clean, clear cut white guy voice, like Eddie Murphy does it and he got it from Richard Pryor. And, you know, there's a little bit of that, I think, in Don. Would I be right in saying that's part of the... Right. Well, I was... Also... With, without meaning to jump into race <laughs> now, but... No, that's all right. I was also trying to do... Uh, I don't know if you watched The Simpsons... Yeah, uh, the Phil Hart. Well, he did a uh, Troy McClure, like uh, hi, I'm Troy McClure. Yes, so I was doing a lot of that. I was channeling him when I did, but uh, I I started out doing a lot of uh of uh, voiceover work uh, back mm -hmm. in uh, in the nineties, and uh, I would ask them, you know, I was like, do you want a black read or do you want to? Because I I grew up with white kids, so if I'm right. not, you know, it's hard to tell that I'm a black guy at all. So if they're asking for like a black voice. And I was like, I don't really sound like that unless you tell me to sound like that. <laughs> so, yeah. the, so they'll Excellent. say, uh, make it a little more street, is what they used to say. <laughs> and, uh, a little more urban. Yeah. And I, I'm okay yeah. with that. But I, I do a lot sound like I'm a, just a white guy pretending to be a black guy when I do that. Okay, okay. Yeah. But then you were a black TV icon for a while on Girlfriends, you know, prominent in the community and voted Sexiest Man Alive by People Magazine. And yeah, can you believe all that? That just kinda, <laughs> that all just kind of came out for that one that, that one decade, uh, ninety eight through two thousand eight, were really big for me. Right. And then I kind of yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's been good. Good, good. Did you get a sense of how weird this movie was? I know you heard, you're saying you heard people saying it would never come out. Uh, they were kind of dissing a little bit. I did not know that it was going to be weird. Um, I, they described it, the, the portal to, to uh, Mr. Malkovich's brain. Um, I thought it was kind of kooky, but I was really kind of into it. I thought it was kind of a neat thing. Uh, like I said, I'm from Chicago, and uh, I know a lot of people you know, that are involved with him. I've worked at his theater before. and uh, Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. At the Steppenwolf Theater. And uh, actually, we went to the same theater school, but he was like, he's like 10 years older than me or whatever, down uh, yeah. at Illinois University. So uh, I, I was excited to work with him. Uh, I didn't actually get to meet him, but uh, yeah, there was so many Chicago people involved in that. John Cusack was from the next suburb over from where right, I'm from yeah. and uh but yeah I I didn't know that it was going to be that kooky but but I'm a kooky guy so I was pretty excited once I saw the, the product great you know great so you mentioned you didn't get to meet John Malkovich you really looking at the movie your shoot was probably very separate was it yeah it was separate it was uh really quick because uh they didn't I guess they they didn't they used film back then, but then they used they just used video for us cause to make it look like uh, yes, like that. So they built the set. Uh, There's this little uh, this little hallway that they built inside, uh, you know, in, inside another hallway. So we would we would come in yeah. and, and bend over and do it, and then we'd go out and do it. It just took about four hours. Uh, so right, it was, right. It was very very quick. Uh, which also as a lazy man, I also enjoyed. 
But uh, <laughs> it was uh, nice. <laughs> it was really it was a great experience, man. So I've already touched on race kind of earlier than I wanted to, but I did want to talk to you about this because I know you've been vocal about um, the black experience in Hollywood and everything. How has Hollywood been for you as a black actor? Um, it's been kind of difficult. I mean, uh, in the beginning, I seem to work a whole lot. Uh, in the beginning, when you're really young, I guess they want you to play a lot of, you know, gang members and tough guys uh -huh. and things and... Uh, I never really got any of those parts. Like in my late 20s and early 30s, it was, you know, and even now there's a lot of, I play a lot of articulate guys, like lawyers and doctors and things. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it's sadly that I'm not really uh, crossing over. Like, you know, you said I was an icon for like 10 years there and then now it just kind of ends and my name uh, isn't really valuable. Uh, like you would, like you would see, uh, probably a white person of my of my level it seems kind of like i'm starting i starting again you know yeah but i think in the american media landscape there is kind of a strange divide that like you're probably more famous in the black community than in the white community in america i think that'd be fair uh, to say absolutely i'm almost unknown in the white community looking at it from obviously from an irish perspective from an international perspective I hadn't heard of girlfriends until I was researching you. So it never made it over here as far as I know. But looking up and kind of getting the, the context of it, it seems that, yeah, it was really big and it was kind of discussed as like the black sex in the city. But I guess that's the problem. Black entertainment was still kind of ghettoized at the time. Right. They don't, and they don't try to, uh, to sell it. They don't try and spend any effort to anyone. Like you say, you know, hey, these are all black people but you may like it they don't ever do anything like that uh yes yeah with sandra rhymes does a lot of things where they she integrates her cast and she gets like crossovers with uh with things but usually it's if it's a black show you're kept with the the black audience there you know uh mm, which is mm. really kind of sad i mean in the 70s actually it was more integrated than it would it is now i mean like uh back with the jeffersons and good times when there yeah was, only like five or six TV channels, you know, you got more crossover than you do now. Um, yes. But now with the internet and everything, the way everything is going, where it's like everyone kind of has their own little niche, you know, it's like where you get, uh, mm -hmm. just like with, uh, with, uh, with computers and everything, you got your conspiratorial TV type people and everyone's got their own audience niche so it seems like we're gonna have more yeah. than less you know yeah so it's the fractured media landscape that we're in nowadays so yeah, you yeah. never have to leave your lane right so right. even the news yeah, so you know, it's like there's trump yeah. news and then there's everybody else yeah, news. <laughs> yeah. thank god that nightmare is um, over. <laughs> oh well i don't know <laughs> i wouldn't hold your breath well, yeah, he was uh, saying he was going to be back president again in a couple of months. He was telling everybody. Absolutely, yeah. That's, which, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> which I doubt, but <laughs> I, I think he, he, I, I wouldn't underestimate his capacity to, you know, create a shit show. I just but, don't um, that, though. I mean, if, if Obama was just like batshit crazy, everyone, yeah. <laughs> black people would have walked away from him so fast, even if he was elected. Yeah. You know, I just don't understand. Oh, well, of course, I, of course, I think... Um, I suppose most black people would have walked away from him, but even if a fringe number of weirdos 
we're still supporting him yeah. um there's just more fringe it's just the white population is just big enough to have more of a weirdo fringe you know yeah. and they've got their like you say they've got their own media and their own separate everything so they can live in their own reality and um and to them trump is president and biden robbed it from him and yeah it's <laughs> fucking crazy. He's got me missing George Bush. He had me missing Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, those guys he thought were on America's side. You know, I was watching the, yes. the new Putin uh, summit with uh, Biden today. And it's like, at least, you know, there, there's some debate or anything. But Trump just laid right yes. down for him. That was amazing. Absolutely. I suppose I better uh, talk about being John Malkovich again. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on that question of black actor in Hollywood, was race part of your casting? Were they looking to fill that role with a black actor? I don't know what they were looking for. I think, I mean, they they might have been looking for that um, just in those, uh, just because in those kind of like training type films, they try to have uh, the different races. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, you yeah. know, represented, you know, then our our Asian co-worker would walk out probably. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's probably what they were going for. Just as, as stereotypical as they could be. So you were working with K.K. Dodds as Wendy. Is yes. she somebody you've worked with before or since? Or Yeah, I worked with her uh, maybe like uh, right after I got out of college. We did a play. Oh, right. Yeah, we did a play called The Chicago Conspiracy Trials. It was with that... Uh, I guess there's a Netflix movie about that now, uh, about when Abby Hoffman and all of those people came to Chicago and there was a riot at the Democratic Convention. And uh, oh wow! And uh, the, the government came and just grabbed all these fringe leaders. And they had nothing to do mm-hmm. with each other. And they just uh, okay. they put them all on trial and blamed them all for, for this riot that took place in Chicago. Uh, with, with, oh. But it came out that, you know, it was you know proven to be a, a police riot where it was yes. just the police that were out of control and uh, they just went uh, insane. But we worked together. I was back in 91, I guess. Uh, mm. KK. <laughs> that was quite a long time yeah. ago. But yeah, I, I knew quite a lot of people involved in that. Uh, yeah, so KK was another one of the uh, Chicago connections there. We played the young people... It was like kind of like an immersive experience. It was this play, and then you would come out into the bar and get a drink or whatever. But then we'd all be dressed up like hippie uh, protesters oh, in the bar. Cool. And when you're coming in, we'd be yelling and protesting outside, and then you kind of come by and go inside. So we were, yeah, we were all very, very young. But that was a theater that was uh, connected to uh, Steppenwolf Theater, where Malkovich was in, he was. Uh, it was called Remains Theater. They were right down the street. Okay, but there was a lot of uh, back and forth between those two theaters. Oh, that's great. I kind of I've covered my notes now pretty much, so it's more if you want to kind of add anything or. No, I'm happy. I'm. I'm thanks for uh, thinking of me. Really oh yeah uh, my pleasure i really appreciate your comedy performance in this movie it's small but you got the tone so perfect and uh <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd i'd like to hear more from don <laughs> me too right on but yeah so this concludes our interview reggie hayes thank you very much for your time thanks for having me man thank you very much